Khan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Hello and welcome to this Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I am Nikki Stevens, a partner in the regulatory practice at Mishcon Dorea. This podcast forms part of a series examining the recommendations in Mishcon Dorea's report, a blueprint for an entrepreneurial technology-driven economy, which explores how the UK can build on its existing strengths to drive its tech industrial strategy. In this episode, we continue to explore the challenges to and opportunities for the UK tech sector focusing on the policy and regulatory environment for tech businesses. In particular, we will explore what the key policy, legal and regulatory challenges are for tech businesses, how those challenges can be addressed and how we will know if we're succeeding. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined for this discussion by Joel Gladwin, who is Head of Policy at the Coalition for a Digital Economy, also known as CODEC, the policy voice for startups and scale-ups in the tech sector. Codec has three principal campaigns, ensuring Britain's startups can hire the best talent from home and abroad, securing access to finance and ensuring regulation is developed with startups in mind so that they can innovate safely. Rebecca Rettig, who is general counsel for the Aave Companies, a group of software development companies that develop blockchain-based software, including the Aave Protocol, which is a decentralised, open-source, non-custodial liquidity protocol in which users can supply or borrow crypto assets and earn interest on crypto assets supplied to the protocol. And Rebecca joins us today from New York. So thank you, Rebecca. It's an early start for you. And welcome both. And thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So just kicking off then with what the key policy, legal and regulatory challenges are for tech businesses, Rebecca, I know you were previously a financial services partner in a a US law firm representing blockchain and and virtual currency companies in regulatory enforcement actions. And now you support the Aave Group companies as as general counsel. So from your experience as an advisor to tech businesses, what do you consider to be the key policy, legal and regulatory challenges? I think the key policy and regulatory challenges is actually identifying where regulation intersects with technology to understanding the breadth of regulations that may actually apply, especially in blockchain-based software because it is so novel, although this applies to all new tech. You have to think about how and whether new technology can exist within the current regulatory scheme, and if it does, how to do that. For blockchain-based companies, we are operating in a bit of a gray area globally in terms of the fact that there are no trusted third-party intermediaries as you'd be used to when you're engaging in financial transactions. And so all regulation is built with these third-party intermediaries in mind. They're all written with the word person in it, which means either a natural person or an organization or whatever you'd expect as a third-party intermediary. And without those, you think about whether technology running on its own autonomously and with automaticity can actually fit into the existing regulatory scheme and how it does. So difficult for kind of innovative and disruptive technologies because it's, it's uncharted waters. 
Yes, and I think that new technology companies are spending more on legal counsel and regulatory advice probably than they ever have before because it's so unclear and because compliance is so important to ensuring that we can continue innovating at such a rapid clip. Yeah. And and Joel, from from your kind of discussions with with tech businesses, in what ways do you think that the law policy and regulation kind of lets tech businesses down? Yeah, just to echo some of Rebecca's points, actually, when it comes to the, the whole tech approach in, in regulation, is that I would say like, from the get-go is the top-down prescriptive and highly technical approach that we tend to take when it comes to regulating. And some of that has been linked to our membership of the European Union because that's the approach that they take with highly highly technical and standardised approaches. And it kind of makes sense in that context because obviously the Commission's goal is to um, harmonise as much policy and, and regulation uh, as much as possible across the, the 27 states that, that make up the European Union. But a lot of the time that top-down prescriptive approach hasn't always been good for, for innovation and competition. And actually what we're seeing now since we've left the European Union is that we now have an opportunity to take a different approach. And it's promising to hear that the government and regulators are signaling their intention to take a more like outcomes-focused, principles-based approach towards regulation. And within that is that one of the key aspects of that will be remaining technologically agnostic. So therefore, this will enable startups to understand what good consumer outcomes or, or outcomes in general should look like, but also giving them the latitude to do things a bit more differently. One of the things that I've been working on recently and, and something that's going to come out in the next few days or so is the buy now, pay later regulation stuff. And one of the problems is that the, the FCA is currently looking at bringing buy now, pay later into the, the framework that we have already for, for consumer credit. But it doesn't fit neatly. And actually, there'll be a huge amount of consumer detriment if they just maps on the current framework onto this new sector, because it would mean that you would get dinged by credit rating agencies five times a year. On average, that's what that's what buy now, pay later users use it for five times a year. And that would have a, a huge impact on people's credit scores and their access to credit in, in general. So it's that outcomes focus framework that remains technologically agnostic so that um, innovation can take place within those parameters. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I suppose, as you say, you know, we, we don't have our membership of the European Union anymore to sort of blame things on. And so, as you say, this is a, a fresh opportunity to, to do things differently. And the UK has has big ambitions. What in your experience, you know, we've, we've talked a bit about or sort of name checked the regulators and, and they play a really important role and are often sort of criticised for being too slow, under-resourced, you know, overzealous in their regulatory enforcement approach, lacking in understanding. Are, are these criticisms fair? I know you, when we spoke previously, you had slightly differing views on that, but what are your sort of impressions? I'll use the lawyer response and say, it depends. Um, it depends on which regulator and in which country you're dealing with. And it also, I think, depends on which type of technology or what type of innovation. If the innovation is almost easy to grasp, it, it is almost like the regulators don't take the time to fully understand it or think potentially about all the different ramifications of new regulation. But I can say, at least from my experience with regulators thinking about blockchain-based financial software, so what we call decentralized financial software based on the blockchain or DeFi, 
regulators have been slow but are taking time to at least educate themselves because it is so innovative, so different than what we're used to, that I have definitely been engaged with regulators around the globe, including the FCA, to really talk to them and do a DeFi 101. And they are really trying to think about how and where they fit in, in a way that will not stifle innovation. I'd add to that and say that the FCA is by far like the best regulator that I've come across when it comes to innovation. And I think that kind of stems from its, its peculiar like statutory objective of promoting competition, which isn't normally one of uh, a statutory objective for a regulator. And they've got a great team in the, in the Innovate team and, and utilizing the sandbox to, to kind of do that discovery phase before they regulate. Um, and, and actually, that's one of the things that I think is a really good idea and something that we need to uh, utilize more is those sandbox approaches, having like an innovation test before re- regulation is brought in. And that's what the FCA has done very, very well when it comes to like, like blockchain um, applications as and like different AI applications within financial services and reg tech in general. Um, and, and it's really like if we're able to build that out beyond financial services, I think there's a huge opportunity there. So from the sounds of things, I think sort of collaboration and connection to industry are, are really important and you you both be advocates for more sort of collaboration on that front. For sure. And I can just build on what Joel said. The FCA's sandbox has been used, at least in the United States, by industry participants as the standard that people should be considering and really thinking intensely about. And a lot of times when either I've been talking to regulators or I've been talking to others in the industry, uh, they have said and referenced the FCA's sandbox, especially with respect to crypto companies as, you know, why can't we do that here? So the FCA, I do agree with Joel, is forward thinking on how to deal with and regulate technology. And so just just touching on that, and, and not to do the FCA disservice then, but, you know, the UK has a reputation of, of trust when it comes to the rule of law. And, and as you say, the FCA is widely regarded as being quite a supportive and forward thinking regulator. Joel, just how damaging are the events such as recent issues faced by crypto asset businesses seeking to register with the FCA then, with those sort of things in mind? Yeah, I think that's more of like a, a more of a reputation damage for for UK PLC in general. It is a once in a generation opportunity to recapture like London's financial preeminence. We've been leaders in financial services throughout the majority of history, and and now we've got this new. We're at this new juncture where we can utilize new decentralized forms of, of finance. Yet the whole crypto register has been bungled. And, and through no fault of its own, the, of the FCA, I think it's more that they bit off more than they could chew when they actually stated that they would have a, a crypto register and be one of the first in the world to do so. But it, it, I'd say that there is a lot of reputation damage when it comes to it. And, and I know when I've spoken to uh, a few people in the crypto space, they're looking to actually move away from London. Coinbase recently did. It, it, it left the UK and moved to Ireland. Um, and there's others considering likewise similar moves. So it's a, it's a real, real shame and, and hopefully not, a, as you say, a, a missed opportunity. And it sounds from, from what you read on the topic that government is receptive to the suggestions for further and wider use of these regulatory sandboxes. And I know Codec is an advocate for the creation of a, a cross-sector regulatory sandbox. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that and, and the thinking behind it? 
we came up with that suggestion back in our 2019 startup manifesto before the last general election. And we saw that there was a real need for more joined up thinking when it came to talking about innovation. And rather than it just being in the verticals of financial services, energy, all of those like regulated sectors with their own regulators at hand, we thought that there was a real need to have more joined up thinking and, and then establish a cross sector sandbox that could utilize people's data utilize different forms of, of innovation within those within those verticals because they're ripe for innovation especially like the utilities and telecoms as well as like credit raising agencies as well but rather than it being a coordinating body it should just be high levels based principles and then that that sandbox operates within those confines of those high level principles and, and then that way we can we can do like discovery phases to understand where regulation might be needed in the future um, because we're able to test these innovations and solutions and see what's needed either to help help open up those opportunities or potentially horizon scanning for potential issues that may emerge from these uh, innovations from having a wider application in society. And that, that sounds a lot like the sort of phrase anticipatory regulation that you, you hear quite often. I think um, the Innovation Foundation, Nesta, sort of coined the phrase in, in 2016, but it sounds quite sensible, doesn't it? And Rebecca, I'd be interested in, in your views, because as a means of sort of supporting innovation and disruptive technologies, what are your thoughts on a kind of more iterative approach to regulation that involves kind of greater engagement between regulators and industry? I think it's critical. I think collaboration with industry when regulators are determining how or if at all to regulate new technology is critical, mostly because there needs to be a deep understanding of how the technology actually works to understand the benefits and then be able to weigh those benefits against any potential risks that there are, right? All technology may have some risks and there may be uh, risks to consumers or users as well, but they may be completely different than whatever we think of as the legacy system. So finance is the easiest, but right, there are certain risks in the legacy financial system because we have third-party intermediaries who have subjective abilities and may not always be acting in the best interest of the customers. We have regulations to ensure that they do. But when you have technology that can execute financial transactions without these third-party intermediaries, you have to think about what the benefits are there. So a lot of what we're grappling with in the blockchain and crypto community is questions about AML and CFT, so anti-money laundering and combating financial terrorism. And one of the ways that we think about that is how many benefits there are just to blockchain technology themselves. It's completely transparent. You can track everything. When I deal with law enforcement when I was in private practice, we would always go and say like, no, you can actually see all the transactions yourselves. We don't have anything that you don't have access to. And so being able to think about how to regulate, let's say, software developers before they deploy this technology or anybody who is otherwise involved in the technology, you have to be able to weigh the benefits first. And it's always very difficult to understand that if you're not engaged with with the innovators themselves. And so I am a very big proponent both in the United States and in the UK and globally in terms of, and and others here are as well. Um, we just presented to one of the Italian regulators about the technology so they can really understand how it works and what the benefits are before they decide how or if at all to regulate. And because I suppose sort of new and, and increased regulation isn't always a bad thing, is it? You know, good proportionate regulation that's been 
properly considered can give tech businesses certainty, which in turn can assure investors, which can improve the quality of goods and services and and create healthy competition. But there is that sort of slight tension, isn't there, between the desire to be be transparent and and protect consumers and allowing businesses the freedom to to develop and continue to develop their disruptive emerging technologies and as you say Joel it can sometimes swing swing too far the other way Rebecca you you sort of touched on on the US it's it's sort of often cited as a jurisdiction that's stolen a bit of a, a march on others by creating quite a sort of supportive environment for for tech businesses what what's your view on that i think that it depends uh, i think that innovation is happening so quickly that other countries realize the benefit of supporting technology too and have definitely come out at least with respect to blockchain based technology in a very forward thinking way and i think that this idea of no financial intermediaries is i think difficult to grasp for all sorts of different regulators um but others globally have maybe been quicker to adopt some ideas around it than than the united states but i think with respect to financial technology just like fintech in general the regulators here in the united states have been very open to it and pretty collaborative and all the regulators here have innovation arms and started them you know, they may have been around for a while, but they've definitely upticked of late. And the regulators here have asked for a lot of companies to just come in, to do education, to have conversations so that there can be more clarity. And so, Joel, for, for anyone that's listening who's who's wondering what they can do to help shape the debate around regulation and, and policy, what would you suggest to them? And, and how can how can tech businesses become more involved in the debate? This is the thing that always like it, it does always make me laugh when I speak to regulators and, and, and policymakers about how they can engage more with startups in like their view, just running open consultation phases and, and calls for input and, and everything like that. They believe that that's that's the way that they're engaging with with the startup community. But when it comes to the startups that we represent, we're, we're representing like everyone from like your two man band in, in a garage shed right up to the name brand scale ups. But like they just don't have the time. Some some of the bigger bigger companies obviously have in-house policy and legal teams that can do the, the legwork when it comes to the consultation responses. The majority of them are just trying to run their business. They're just trying to go from day to day. And and like although it will have an impact on their business, it doesn't seem close enough or tangible enough for them to be able to commit hours to, to writing these responses. And so what, what we say is, and this is why we exist as an organization, um, we, we, we hold lots of roundtables with ministers, with parliamentarians, with regulators, and with government officials themselves. And, and it's kind of like the easiest and best way to get involved is, is, is by going through like an organization like us. It'll only take like an hour of, out of your, your day rather than hours and hours writing these consultation responses that because there's not enough critical mass behind, quite often they just go with whatever the incumbents input. So it's a much better way of, of, of engaging and, and I'd highly recommend uh, reaching out to organizations like, like Kodak and, and Tech UK and Innovate Finance. I agree. We're part of a number of different organizations and it is a really great way to engage and also to stay up to speed on the various ways that regulators are starting to think about things or various opportunities to respond and be involved in responses. 
And I think the other thing is that being engaged in these types of organizations is also just a way to be a good actor in a sort of innovative and for us, at least gray area space. And a lot of what I talked about when I was in private practice and what I still ascribe to now as general counsel is when you are operating in a gray regulatory space, you need to be a good actor generally. So even if you think this regulation may not apply to me exactly, what are the steps that we can take to ensure that we are at least complying with the spirit of the law around that or the spirit of the regulation? And being part of these organizations also helps with that. So the good news is there's some people out there who can do some of the some of the legwork for you. <laughs> and 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 sounds as though one of the um happy consequences of that is lots of new connections and valuable contacts as well. So I think that that's a really positive idea for for people to take away. So then lastly coming on to sort of how how will we know if we're succeeding. Joel, I know Codex Startup Manifesto includes a a series of recommendations relating to the regulation in the tech sector, the use of open banking style reforms to promote innovation in certain sectors and revolutionising the way government collects and stores and shares data. What are some of the key successes of, of Codec in recent times? Yeah, so I mean, when it goes, when we go back to the, that startup manifesto, we actually did this exercise internally last week, uh, and we're actually we, we surpassed our own um, we surpassed our own expectations, really. So I think there's about twenty recommendations, and about twelve have either been enacted or are currently being considered or under review. And we also had a, a very successful budget, and we got about five of our policy ideas into the budget, and that was everything from two new tech visas, and then also adjusting the pension charge cap to allow more institutional capital to flow into startups. And then also a review of the EMI and stock option system in the UK so that we can continue to attract and retain the talent that we need for our startups and scale-ups. And then finally, R&D tax credit reforms. So at the moment, we have like a very old-fashioned metal bashing R&D regime. And what the government has now committed to doing is expanding that to include data purchase and and cloud costs, which is obviously like two of the key costs when it comes to modern day R&D for AI and machine learning firms. And we're, we're always keen to hear about more thoughts um, on where we can go with our policies. So I'm more than happy to, to hear your thoughts on that. And Rebecca, from, from your perspective, how, how will we know when we're getting it right? What do you think the markers of success look like? I think that's a challenge uh, when I think about blockchain-based technology because it's so nascent. It's very new and the proliferation has really taken off only in the last two years or so. Success looks like continued engagement with regulators, as we've discussed, to help them understand the technology and to really give deep thought to how regulation works around financial technology. And as I said earlier, um, and what the benefits are and how to weigh those benefits against the need for consumer protection, whether that means that there's a completely new regulatory regime, I think is probably a bit of a stretch. But I think that having flexible regulations or even additional sandboxes for aggressively innovative financial technology will be really beneficial in the short term. Five to 10 years from now, I'm not, I'm just not entirely sure because we're still in such a new wave for financial technology. And so just to sort of wrap things up then, if if each of you could make government do or prevent them from, from doing one thing, what would it be and why? Should we come to you first, Joel? 
Uh, so for me, it would actually be uh, to double down on pro-competition, pro-innovation policies and, and, and some of the, the ideas that they're cooking up at the moment. So we're due to have smart data legislation come into force next year, which will extend open banking and give consumers the right to data portability on a much wider scale than just financial services. And, and I think that's a better way to combat incumbents and especially like when the government's looking at big tech, uh, it's a better way of of actually breaking their dominance is by just encouraging more competition to, to thrive. And the only way you can do that is through innovation. So you have to be pro-innovative rather than like building on prescriptive regulation from above. Mine is essentially the same. So I'll say it, but maybe with just different words, um, which is to not apply traditional notions of what technology or or what our legacy systems do to new technology and to be able to have a very open and and wide scope of a mindset to understand that even if something may have resemblances to legacy systems, that there are differences that require potentially new ways of thinking about regulation. So a bit of blue sky thinking then. One hopes. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. So it just remains for me to thank you both again, Joel and Rebecca, for joining me for this Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. Please do look out for invitations for subsequent events and thought leadership examining our report's other themes in more detail. The Digital Sessions are a series of online events, videos and podcasts, all available at mishcon.com. And if you have any questions you'd like answered or suggestions of what you'd like us to cover in future events, please do let us know at digitalsessions at mishcon.com. Thank you for listening. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com.